I know why I didn't get much of a response this morning for the good morning. Because the Yankees lost last night and we're still feeling it. I know. I'm feeling it too. In fact, in my notes I had, go Yankees, we're going on to the World Series, amen, yeah. But it didn't happen that way, now did it. So, anyway, amen. Speaking of greatness, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. See how the segue? Turn with me and your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5. So today, we are going to continue in our look and uh, diving into the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to set the stage by saying that, remember, Jesus is with his disciples. He's with his men. They're on the mountain, and he's given them teachings on the Beatitudes. In other words, he was talking with them about the kingdom of heaven and how it's available to all, even to those who seem like from the world standards, they are unworthy of blessings. Yes, even they have the kingdom of heaven available to them. And within that kingdom, there are abundant blessings. And then he moves on to tell his disciples that they are exactly what the world needs, salt and light. And I, I, I have to just pause for a second and think, in their minds, in the minds of the disciples at that time, they must have been thinking, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing teaching. Jesus is telling us there's so many blessings available in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that we are salt and light. I know what he's going to do next. He's going to abolish the law. He's going to get rid of it. He's going to tell us we don't have to abide by the law anymore. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to throw it away. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he says something completely on the other end of the spectrum. He doesn't go there at all. Jesus tells that his men that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And their righteousness, the righteousness of the disciples, must be a surpassing righteousness. In fact, it must go beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Those that would have been seen as the ultra-righteous. So let's look at Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. We're just going to look at a few verses today. We're going to dive in, we're going to break them down, and we're going to learn what we can about Jesus the King. Jesus fulfills the law, is my first point. He says in 17, verse 17 in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So again, at this point in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his disciples must have been thinking, at least in my mind, they must have been thinking that he was going to destroy the law. He was going to lay it aside. But Jesus is keenly aware of their thinking, that they may have gone there in their minds. And, and again, he doesn't say that. He dispels that myth right away. And you have to love the emphasis he puts on it. He says, not even the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen is going away, my friends. The law is to be upheld. 
And so when he says things like the smallest letter, what he was talking about was the Hebrew letter Yod, which in form was the, the size of an apostrophe. And so what Jesus is saying, not even this, this apostrophe is going to disappear from the law. And then he goes on to say that even the smallest stroke of a pen, so to think about that would be like the little projection as part of a letter. Like if you think of the letter T, like the smallest projection from that T, not even that is going to disappear from the law. So Jesus, in a sense, is laying it down that the law is so sacred that not even the smallest detail of it will ever pass away. And again, he says that he comes to uphold the law. In fact, it was so sacred that nothing was going to be disregarded from the law. And he says that he, as the Messiah, came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. In a sense, he says that he came to clarify the law and the prophets. One scholar said, in fact, this scholar happens to be in the room, Dr. G. Steve Kennard, in his book, Crowning the King. He didn't tell me I had to say this, but I thought oh, this is really a good explanation of this. He said, Jesus came to heighten our understanding concerning the law. Throughout this section, and so it's, he's talking about the section that's to come, uh, he uses the formula, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, Jesus takes ethical statements from the Old Testament and reinterprets them, showing the deeper, more radical heart behind them. And that's exactly what is meant there. When, he's, when we're talking about him fulfilling the law, when we're talking about him clarifying the law, what Jesus shows us is the deeper, more radical heart behind the law that helps us to fulfill the law. It's not, a, not about just holding to the actions. It's about having the right heart that helps us to keep the law. And it's the heart that needs to be right. It's the heart that needs transformation. Out of the right heart flows right actions. And you see, the teachers of the law, what they did was they took the law and they tried to create all these rules around the law that if people held to those rules, they wouldn't even come close to breaking the law. So they, held, so they created these rules and the Pharisees tried to hold to every single one of those little rules to prevent them from breaking the law. And in many ways, they did hold to those rules. And they had a form of righteousness that was unmatched. And Jesus helps us to see that that's wrong. That in fact, that's not righteousness at all. We need to have the right heart. Later in Matthew, verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 26, he calls them out. He says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will become clean. It's about the heart. That's what Jesus is after. Jesus fulfills and clarifies the law, not only in the way that he taught himself, but in the way that he lived his life. Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 20, 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And check this out. It says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, we're talking about love here. We're talking about the heart. That's what Jesus is after. That's the way in which he clarifies the law. And 
I think for the disciples, they were just off in their thinking. They were off in the way they were thinking about righteousness and the law and what Jesus was all about. And quite honestly, I think sometimes we can be off in our thinking about things as well. Have you ever thought you were going to the right place, but you really ended up someplace else? Has that ever happened to you before? Okay, well, it's happened to me before, and I want to tell you a story about this time that this happened to me. So, last year, uh, I was traveling out to Denver for a conference. And not the family conference. This was uh, before that time. It was the first time I had been to Denver. Never been there. Didn't know anybody out there. And I wanted to find a place to stay. Figured it'd be great to stay with a disciple. I didn't know any of the disciples out there. Plus, I saved a little bit money, a little bit of money on the hotel, so double bonus. So I contacted a friend, uh, Ross Lippincott, who knew someone out there. He emailed a few people. One guy got back to him, uh, Dr. Tim Summerlin, who's actually now an elder in the Denver church. Um, great brother. I didn't know him. We emailed back and forth. He said, hey, uh, would love to have you come and stay at my house. Here's my information. Great. I took it down. I said, I'll be in around midnight. I'm, I have a rental car. I'll just come to your house. He said, yeah, come on in. And, you know, I have a note on the door. You just come in, come downstairs, and there'll be a place set up for you downstairs. I thought, great. So I put it into my Google Calendar. Big mistake. Uh, anyway, so I put it in the Google Calendar. I get in earlier than I thought. I thought I was getting in at midnight. I actually got in at 10 p.m. So I'm like, great. Tim probably still be up. We'll get to hang out. We'll get to talk. I'll just come in, and we'll have a great time. So... I get in the rental car, I drive down, I'm like, man, I'm really early, he's probably still going to be up, this will be great. So I pull up to the house, and again, I've never been there, I've, I don't know who Tim is, I've never met him, don't know what he looks like. I go to the door, and there's no note on the door, but I figured, he's probably still up, he didn't go to bed yet, let me see if the door is open. So I'm locked, as Tim said it would be, so... I walk inside the house, and <laughs> dog comes downstairs, friendly dog, thankfully, you know, I'm playing with him a little bit, in the living room, right off to the main foyer, lights on in that room, TV's on, man is on the couch, laying down, I see the top of his head, wouldn't matter anyway, I don't know what Tim looks like, I thought he was watching TV, I said, hey Tim, Nothing. No response. And I thought, this is weird, but I'm going to just go with it because this is the address. So I, I, I take a few steps forward. I get a little bit closer, and I'm like, hi. I mean, anybody would have woken up at this point. I mean, it was pretty loud. It was obvious. I was really close to him. I didn't want to get too close to him because I don't really know him yet. Nothing. No movement. And I didn't know what to do. I thought, I guess I'll just go downstairs and get set up in my room. <laughs> Tim fell asleep. He's tired. He's a school counselor. I'll just go downstairs and, and get all cozied up, and I'll talk to Tim in the morning. <laughs> but I'm still, you know, there are questions in my mind. So I'm, I'm looking around the house. Maybe there's a Summerlin sign somewhere. I, I didn't see anything. I go downstairs. On the wall, it says, praise the Lord, you know, something like that. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a disciple's house, obviously. <laughs> Who would have a praise the Lord, 
you know, picture in their house just sitting there. So I walk downstairs. <laughs> the basement's a mess. All the doors are closed. I'm like, which room is mine? But I had to dis- I, I, that, before I went in the room, I'm like, okay, I need to figure out if this is the right house or not. So I go to the back. I'm looking for pictures. I go to the back of the basement room. And so I'm deep in this guy's house. I don't even know if this is the right house. I'm deep in this guy's house. And, and I get to the back, and there are these two plaques on the wall. So it's a, it's a, it's a man and a woman. So it must, must have been, you know, some husband and wife. It says, Joel and Sarah Burns. I'm in the wrong house. I about lost it. I mean, my, I, I grabbed my bag. I ran back upstairs. I was like, I hope the dog doesn't wake the guy up. I hope the guy doesn't wake up. I look at him. He's still passed out. I step outside the door. People, you got to be careful, man. You leave your doors unlocked. Crazy people might come in your house at night. <laughs> so, so I come out of the house. I was like, what happened? I looked at my Google Calendar. I put in the wrong address. It was, like it was just off. Tim Summerlin's house was on the other side of the complex where I was. I mean, it was just a little ways away. When I was in this guy's house, deep in this guy's house, wrong guy's house, didn't wake up, could have got shot, right? That's what everybody tells me. I know that I didn't. I'm still alive. Amen. So I get to Tim's house, notes on the door, doors unlocked. How- you know, room's all set up for me. I go and see Tim early the next morning, you know, when he woke up to go to school and I was getting ready for the conference. I was like, Tim, I am so glad that I found your house and that you're here and that you had it all set up for me. That could have been really bad. And the thing is, is that, you know, when it, with us, sometimes we can have the wrong directions, in, Christian, in our Christianity, sometimes we can think about things in the wrong way and we end up in the wrong place and it could go and often does go really bad. And so for us, what we need to do is we need to make sure that our hearts and our minds are in the right place, that we have the right information, that we're headed in the right direction. And we need to ask ourselves, is our Christianity really about Jesus? Is it really about the heart of Christ? Or are we still trying to hold to the law or just do the right thing? Or is it really just about something else for us? We have to ask ourselves that question. Has our walk with God become about a checklist? Or do we actually connect with Jesus and see that staying close to him enables us to fulfill the law because he is the fulfillment of the law. He has come to clarify the law for us. We need to connect with Jesus this week. And what I want to challenge all of us to do is to connect with Jesus in a new and radical way this week. I think oftentimes we get so familiar with, well, this is, this is the way that I connect with Jesus, and this is what I feel comfortable with, but, but sometimes we can become stale in that way of connecting. Sometimes we can become stale in our relationship with Jesus, and so we need to be connecting with him in new ways. And I just, I want us to really go there with Jesus, go deep with Jesus, connect to the heart 
of Jesus. See him as being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and everything that we need. Please, church, let's connect with Jesus in a new way this week. And so as Jesus is talking with his disciples, he tells them, he tells them that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And then he goes on to say that their righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law just to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about entering the kingdom, and it's got to be a surpassing righteousness. So to continue on in Matthew 5, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here continues to hold up the commands. He says that whoever practices A.K. is doing them and teaching them is the one who is considered great in the kingdom of heaven. He says that the righteousness that surpasses, so another way to think about that, is righteousness that is better than or more excellent than those that were holding to the rules of the laws. That being the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So if you have that kind of righteousness that surpasses that, it will enable you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. And we have to picture here that if you put yourself in the place of the disciples, they must have been in shock at this point. There's no, there's no surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I mean, they are the ultra, 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 ultra righteous. You, you can't get better than that. There's no more excellent than their type of righteousness. But you see, Jesus is really setting them up for what he says Next, which we'll talk about uh, next week. But he's about to teach them what it means to go beyond that righteousness, to be better than that righteousness, to have more excellent righteousness than that. He's about to give them the deep teaching of the heart, the radical heart of the law. The heart, that heart is a deep and utterly pure motivation and intention to love God and love people. When that is in the right place, the rest will come along. And that's really what Jesus is after here. And, and as we think about the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that motive was the motive of the law. The law had become their God. It was all about trying to just hold to the law and to all these rules and to look good for other people. So in a sense, other people had become their God as well. But we have to realize that the motive of the Christian, or the motive which under the Christian lives, is the motive of love. That's our motive. That's our heart. And as I consider, and as I think about us in the Hudson Valley, as I think about the disciples in the Hudson Valley, there are so many people that I could point to that have that type of heart, a surpassing 
righteousness, a heart of love, a heart that is set on Jesus. And one of those people is Fiol. Um, Fiol is somebody who I've known for a long time. Um, Fiol is somebody who I met early on uh, as I got converted here in the Hudson Valley. And as I've gotten to know her more and more, and as I've, I've been able to spend more time with her, I just see that her motives are really pure. They're really about pleasing God. That is her number one goal in life, or her number one motivation is just, yeah, I, I, I'm doing this thing. She runs Saturday Academy, and she does a phenomenal job at that. But it's not about looking good there. It's really about loving those kids, loving us, giving us opportunities to connect with people, and just pleasing God. It's, it's inspiring to me. It's an upward call to me to see people's hearts like that. Um, when I think of that, when I think of that kind of heart, I think of the McCulloughs as well, Ryan and Lauren McCullough. Um, I, I've known Ryan a long time. Um, Pretty, pretty, pretty soon after I became a disciple, I got to know Ryan and have been able to spend um, more time with him recently. And with Ryan, I feel like there's not a lot of people like him. Um, in terms of his just pure and utter devotion to God, I, I don't second guess Ryan's motivations with things because I know that he's about pleasing God. And Ryan's not perfect. I try to remind him of that on a daily basis, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we, we help each other, and I, I, but I just, I look at the McCulloughs and their parenting and um, the way that they serve and him leading worship and, and so many other things, and you just see a pure and utter devotion to God.